0: Democracy, democracy, democracy. For a strong Europe of cultures and regions, which is not reconstructed, reformed. Re-
1: European Democracy Lab podcast from the Institute of European Democrats. For this second podcast, we've been talking with John Worth, political blogger, journalist, editor, and expert on EU internet affairs, and with Sabrina Schmidt press officer for the political party Freie Wähler in the Bavarian Parliament. Our discussions have focused on democracy and social media. Social networks today are a major place for political debate, and since 2008 and the Barack Obama presidential election in the US, they are also a key instrument for successful political campaigns.
2: Yes, we can.
1: But according to a survey published in April 2019 by the Transnational Consortium of Journalists Investigate Europe, right-wing populists dominate political discourse in Europe on social media platforms, far beyond what they represent in terms of voters. The question is, why do political parties dominate what has become the digital public space? One explanation is that populist groups started using social media platforms early on. John Worth.
0: Why did they do that? Because the traditional television channels would refuse to cover their politicians. So they built their own. They built their own online systems. And so definitely those sorts of parties, also alternative for Deutschland in Germany, even the UK Independence Party and, the, and then the Brexit Party in the UK have been ahead of traditional political parties in their digital communication.
1: Populist groups also tend to invest a lot of money in social media. To take a recent example in Belgium, the far-right populist party the Flams Belangs spent €400,000 on social networks during the last federal election campaign. This is as much as the other Flemish parties combined spent in total. A third reason is that populist parties use efficient strategies and tools – Sabrina Schmidt.
2: The populist parties are very clever when it comes to use social medias. The way they use hashtags, the way they use very simple titles, they use clickbaits to get more people to watch their videos or to look at their posts.
1: And they use tools which can be used to reshape the truth, like bots or fake news. So far, we have identified three reasons behind the success of populist parties in social media. First, starting early. Second, investing money. And third, using disruptive tools effectively. But there is a fourth reason. Social networks fit perfectly with the very nature of populism. According to the Belgian political scientist Jérôme Jamin, because, and I quote, it will suppress the political time inherent in democracy mediation and negotiation emotions and simplicity sell on social networks observes Jamie Bartlett another thinker on this matter European Democracy Lab podcast from the Institute of European Democrats The question then is how to respond and preserve the democratic debate on the internet. Sabrina Schmidt.
2: I think there are other ways to present oneself, to not be loud, to not just go for the next clickbait but uh, to present politics the way they actually are. And politics are never simple. They're always complex. You never find an easy answer. And that's the only thing that populists suffer. And I think it's our job as Democrats to show the process of how politics work and to be transparent about that.
1: But what about emotion? It's a tool massively used by populist political parties. For John Worth, moderate parties should not deprive themselves of emotion on social media, but use it wisely.
0: Relating to that, there is a book which is not about social media communications, which nevertheless frames how I look at this problem. It's called Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff. And he essentially says... You should never abandon what you are politically about, but you have to find the most emotionally compelling ways and means of telling that story and making that an emotional connection to the audiences that you wish to reach. I, You do not abandon your factual base. How do you find ways and means of phrasing that is emotionally clever but without abandoning your core principles, that's where I would focus my efforts.
1: And do some moderate politicians focus on this? Who are the ones who make the best use of social networks?
0: So one who's been extremely clever, um, although his role has just changed, I very much admire the way that Donald Tusk played the role as president of the European Council in what he wrote, particularly on Twitter. He came across as strong-willed politically, but a very decent human in the way that he did that. I think that's a a real skill uh, to be able to have. In Brussels European Union politics, um, the best at the moment in the current commission is uh, Margrethe Vestager, for example, the vice president of the European Commission. She combines, again, a strong personality also with some personal things that she mixes in with the politics and is also sometimes interacting with people. Like if you pose her a question, she'll come back with an answer if she has um, adequate amounts of time. So those are two who really know how to do it.
1: So there are ways for politicians and political parties to communicate on social media that encourage a healthy debate on the internet. But the audience itself also has a role to play. Sabrina Schmidt.
2: I think we need to have confidence in our audience, in our viewers and our readers. Because what I find on Facebook is that there is some effect that I would call a self-regulatory effect. So whenever someone voices an opinion, which is far right, usually a whole bunch of people stand up and actually voice their opinion. This is actually a democratic process, which we have to support and to really enforce a conversation and to engage people and actually use our platforms to get in touch and to voice their opinions and to voice their democratic opinions.
1: Politicians, political parties and citizens have a role to play in maintaining a reasonable debate on social media. But nowadays the European internet is predominantly controlled by private actors such as Facebook, Google and Twitter. Should the public sector regulate these actors to protect the digital space or not? Here's what Sabrina Schmidt thinks.
2: We need to regulate hate speech. We need to regulate the use of bots. We probably need to make more transparent when is money being used to promote posts. But this is something that we as users can't do alone. We need the help of the jurisdiction.
1: But which jurisdictions and how should regulation work? Should we create binding legislation or should we encourage the platforms to self-regulate? Decisions have been made at the European level to protect the EU democracy from bots and fake news in the context of the last European elections. But nowadays, the platforms are still functioning predominantly through self-regulation. The EU institutions encourage them to do so through a constant discussion. For instance, European Industry Commissioner Thierry Breton recently met with the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. He warned him and the other platforms about binding measures if they do not do more to regulate hate speech, illegal content or fake news. But for John Wirth, the key issue is elsewhere.
0: I find it a very hard debate. I'm very nervous about the idea of social media platforms essentially determining what we can and cannot say. So, therefore, regulating what is or is not allowed on social platforms, I'm a bit nervous about that idea. What for me is much more important is to put the control over what you see in the hands of the users. So for example, algorithms, particularly on Facebook, determine what we can and cannot see. But well, we as users don't know how those algorithms work. How does Facebook choose what it shows up to me? So I would be much more in favour of looking at, for example, transparency of the algorithm. So I, as a user, can have a control to work out what am I going to get here, rather than that being pre-filtered for me by the social networking tool. And that would be my way of essentially saying I'm going to put some of that control at least back in the hands of the users. I would prefer that rather than essentially the social media channels themselves determining what is or is not acceptable to say.
1: In conclusion, hate speech, indictment to hatred and racism on social networks must be punishable. But it's very difficult to reconcile this with the protection of freedom of expression. In addition, these decisions must be made with today's internet information platforms like Facebook or Google by encouraging them to self-regulate, or by constraining them. On their side, the citizens and the political parties that defend democracy must encourage a reasoned debate on social networks on a daily basis. This is a challenge for the European Union and for all democracies. As for the populist comments expressed on social networks, the solution does not seem to be to muzzle them, but to respond to them in order to maintain democratic pluralism. European Democracy Lab podcast is a podcast by the Institute of European Democrats, a think tank and political foundation founded by the European Parliament. Find this podcast and all our activities on our website www.iedonline.eu.